Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome everybody, this is Brian Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And this morning we have the absolute pleasure of having Casey Fannin on with us this morning. Casey is the acting executive director of the National Cooperative Bank. He's filling in for our late, great Chuck Snyder. Good morning, Casey. Uh, it's nice to see you, nice for you to be on the show with us this morning. Thank you for taking out time with you were just appointed the executive director. Uh, how do you feel about that appointment? You know, I'm humbled and, and thankful. NTV is a, is a great institution. You know, Chuck left it in a, in a great place. So I'm, I'm honored, you know, to be acting CEO of NTV and, um, you know, very proud of what the bank's done and what we'll continue to do. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So let's get a little background on you. Uh, where did you grow up? in Lynn, Massachusetts, a suburb north of Boston. You know, my whole family is it was from uh, the Lynn area. A lot of them are still up there. Is that Lynn, L-Y-N-N? Lynn, Massachusetts? L-Y-N-N, that's right. I never heard of Lynn, Massachusetts, north of Boston. And you'll have to run the, run the water. You'll have to come up there sometime. <laughs> okay. And what about school? So I went to Bentley University in Waltham, Massachusetts. I got a finance uh, degree from from Bentley. I was always interested in uh, you know the financial markets and the economy. So that was um, really what I wanted from day one. And um, you know, when as I was graduating, interviewing at different jobs, I uh, I think you know I found NCB and they found me. So we kind of we found each other. Wait, 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 but before you go to that, did you study anything on co-ops while you were doing your finance degree at Bentley? Interesting. Um, no. Uh, there was very little uh, cooperative training or education uh, in my finance studies. So uh, what year was that? What year did you graduate? Oh, now you're going to date me. Uh, I graduated in 1996 uh, from Bentley University. It's funny, Vernon, when I, I, you know, I, I did an interview on campus, uh, when I was, you know, I've been at NCB my entire career. And so uh, when I was flying down to Washington, uh, I, you know, I, I had a, study up on co-op so i went to the library and took out all the books i could find on on cooperatives and uh you know sadly there weren't very many uh i, I but i found what i could and, and it was predominantly about housing co-ops mm -hmm. and uh you know studied up on 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 co-ops and uh you know found a great match with ncb uh you know the funny thing is you know having not really uh studied co-ops in college uh, you know, I was interviewing for jobs, and I was deciding between NCB and a mutual insurance company. So uh, it was kind of funny. I think it was destiny, I guess. So That's how I found NCB. 1996, you graduated. You're talking about don't date you. So I graduated in 1969. So, okay. <laughs> Same date, 1996 or 1969. Same digits, but a little bit different order. So you're a young boy. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
And you, like me, though, did not um, study co-ops in college. And I went and got a master's in math and then an MBA, and nowhere did I hear anything about co-ops. So you found about it much earlier in your career, right out of college. I was, I don't know, 20 years out of graduate school before I heard about co-ops. And also housing, which was interesting. We have it in similar. You know, I was lucky. I was lucky to um, find it early and um, you know, fell in love with it early and, uh, you know, learned, learned here at NCB and with our customers and, you know, the different markets. So what was your first job at NCB out of college? So I, I, uh, the, the bank has a program called Professional Development Program, and it's a rotational program that you get to really visit with several teams around the bank, and it was a great program. We still have it had a lot of you know, leaders in the bank come up through that program. And so that was my first my first job at NCB. Uh, I was lucky enough uh, to sit next to Stan Dreyer. As soon as I started the bank, I sat next to Stan and I could you know, hear over the cube him calling all the uh, executives and CEOs of the nation's co-ops. And I, I learned a lot from Stan in those early, early days. So I was, I was very lucky uh, to have that experience. But as you know, I kind of came up through the, the housing co-op side of the bank. That's where I spent my, my early career uh, at the bank. So Stan Dreyer. Now, you all have the Stan Dreyer Spirit of Co-op Award. Is that right? We do. We, do. we give it away every year at our annual meeting. So Stan Dreyer has meant a lot to the bank to name your highest award after him. Stan, as you know, was you know he was head of NCBA CUSA. Stan played a pivotal role in the bank's creation and was an employee of the bank for, for quite a while. And uh, he was sort of the, you know, the driver of, of, of the bank's mission and, and spirit, really, for many years uh, and, and trained a lot of people as an inspiration for, uh, for many of us. So you sat beside Stan Dreyer, and I just want to say one year I got that Stan Dreyer Spirit of Cooperative Award, and that was, that was like, it set me You're on fire. You're wearing the medal, though. You should, you should be wearing the medal. <laughs> you know, I may, I may start doing that every day. I may start doing that. And you, had, you sat beside him and sort of learned about cooperation and all of the people. My two mentors in the housing industry was um, Roger Wilcox, who died a couple of years ago at 97, and Herb Fisher. And Herb was very um, instrumental in getting the bank formed, too, in those early days, along with David Thompson and so many great cooperators. And I would almost literally sit at their knee as they would teach me about co-ops and how co-ops worked. Uh, uh, it, so it's, it was phenomenal. So you got Stan Dreyer, and I had Roger Wilcox and Herb Fisher, older guys in the world, saying, okay, come on. I was older than you in terms of age, but baby also in terms of cooperation and understanding co-ops. And they took me around and mentored me in, in this world. Yeah. And, and just, you know, Sam is a gentle guy and just a great guy. And so um, in addition to learning, you know, co-ops uh, in NCB, uh, just a, a great guy to be around. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a lot in the co-op world. Herb didn't kind of fit that when he would hit you on the head. <laughs> he was that kind of teacher. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but Roger was that kind of guy. So you were in this professional development career out of college to learn the bank, going to different areas of the bank. And so, where did you land after after that professional development? So I landed in the in the housing co-op team. Uh, you know, focused on the market rate co-op, limited equity co-op. As you know, we, we have an active uh, program uh, with securitization in Fannie Mae, and you know, I led those teams for a while. You know, and 
there's just been a lot of activity in the housing you know, co-op housing market over the years and I've enjoyed, you know, learning about, you know, construction of housing co-ops, you know, manufactured housing co-ops, limited equity, you know, both in uh, in New York with Mitchell Lamas and, uh, you know, D.C., as you know well, and around the country. So uh, I spent, you know, the, the first part of my career in that in that housing space and then over the years really uh, grew into other uh, cooperative businesses that the bank runs. And so, um, you know, added to my, I guess, my portfolio of, of businesses over the years. Uh, I was chief lending officer, probably named chief lending officer, probably, I don't know, five five years ago, maybe. Uh, I'm responsible so, so for all the, the bank's business production. When I met you first, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, I was with the National Association of Housing Co-op, and you were on the, the housing side. And that's how I, I met you when you were doing that that work. So I have it that housing co-ops help people to come together and have a safe space to raise a family. And then they have a community um, and, and they get their voice. They can say things. Uh, how did you find the, the cooperative housing, not just the, the financing of it and the brick and mortar of it, but the community of it, the people? How did you find working with I mean, you know, I would sum it up with pride of ownership. You know, when I walk into to housing co-ops, uh, I know I'm walking into a co-op. You know, I, you know, we've all walked in, you know, other types of buildings or other, you know, communities. I think you find a sense of, of pride in, in cooperative ownership. And you see that in, you know, high-end co-ops. You see it in uh, urban, rural co-ops. I think people take... Uh, not only pride of the, their physical space and where they raise their families and that they have their homes, but also in controlling the activities of the co-op. I think that the, the co-op governance structure uh, really empowers people and um, I think gets them active, gets them involved in their community. They get to meet their neighbors. They care for their neighbors. And, I, you know, it, it just strengthens the, the community. I think it's good for society uh, and certainly the, uh, the people that live in the co-ops. So, I mean, in that in that comes through really every time you walk in, you know, walk in the door. So pride of ownership, it takes me to Dame Pauline Green, when she was the president of International Cooperative Alliance, said that co-ops help people to come out of poverty with dignity, that dignity, Absolutely. that pride of which poor people a lot of time lose in this in our culture um, because too often they are blamed for being poor. And the system will make them poor, but co-ops help them to get out of that poverty, both in terms of having money, but more importantly, is having pride. Okay, and that's that's what you see when you go into and that's the limited equity co-ops, which are throughout the U.S. And, and you see that really on the conversions, right? I mean, when people buy in, they feel that pride, but when there's a conversion where you have this, you know, large group of people that are, you know, going from renters to owners all at the same time uh, and the process it takes to, you know, to get to that point, um, you know, there's, there's great pride and, and joy in their faces. And um, it's, it's, it's a great thing to see. Because too often people that are on the lower level, lower income level of our society never see themselves as owning. And then in the, in the DC is Topa and in New York with that Mitchell Lama, but different programs that the city has to help people to buy. So Topa gives a tenant first first right of refusal so they can buy it. And I've seen that too. Not as a property manager, and that's how I learned about co-ops, 
the hard part of it was getting people to move their headspace from renter to owner. And once they were able to do that, that probably even became more, and they had voice. Uh, so you got a chance to see that, and I got it, and we, we both have that in common. So where did you do next? So I think over the years, of uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the grocery space, uh, the hardware space. You know, as you know, we, we, we finance, you know, food co-ops and independent retailers uh, that belong to co-op wholesalers, you know, worker-owned co-ops that we have across the country. Um, and we do some some solar lending as well, which is really a uh, concern for community. We, we think it's, you know, leading to a more sustainable environment. So I've really touched, you know, all the businesses that, you know, where we're very active in credit union space. Uh, we, we have a, a very large number of credit union customers that form a solid base of our deposit, you know, uh, so, you know, really have touched all the businesses over the, over the years. So we're going to, we're going to stop there and take our first break. Uh, but you just listed a lot of the different co-ops. So when we come back, I'll, I'm going to list the four different sectors of co-ops and what kinds of co-ops are in there. Sure. And I really want to get to what are some of the benefits of co-ops that you have learned uh, as how long have you been at the bank now? Around 26 years. 26 years. Okay. Started when you're 21. You've been there 26 years. Got it. We're going to take our first break. <laughs> we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Martin Oaks. And we're talking to Casey Fannin, who has been with the bank for 26 years. He's been with National Cooperative Bank for 26 years. Started when he got right out of college, and that's where he's spent his whole career so far. He started at, at age 21. He's been there 26 years. So he's been with the bank uh, over half of his life, learning about co-ops because he didn't get it in college, didn't get it in elementary school or junior high or high school. Knew nothing about cooperatives, but he was pursuing two jobs. One was with the bank and one was with mutual insurance. Both of them, this mutual aid, this working together in community to create community, people sharing their resources, sharing their skills, their dollars, their pennies to create a community. And I told you, I talked to you about the four different types of co-ops, which he has mentioned that the bank has been working with. The first one is, uh, it, already, it really depends on who owns and controls the business. If the business is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. Therefore, any business you can think of could be a worker co-op. If it's owned and controlled by the persons that uses the product or services, it's called a consumer co-op. And there you have housing co-ops, and we've been talking about that, where uh, Casey uh, started his career in housing co-ops at the bank, and I did too with managing co-ops. And then there's credit unions, the people that make the deposits own the business, food co-ops, are the people that shop often own the food co-op and in the food co-op it could also be a employee or worker co-op the workers could own it or in hybrid both the consumer and the workers own it if a group of people uh, come together to uh, buy products that they need then it's called a purchasing co-op farmers do this artists do this they come together buy the products that they need in our services, and this company creates the skill set and normally buys in volume so they get a better quality at a lower price by buying in bulk. And the last group is a marketing co-op, and sometimes they're called producer co-ops. 
a group of farmers that say if you had nine milk farmers, they say to they're going to create a business that would buy their milk, and so they know where they're going to sell it. And that could be uh, Lando Lakes or Cabot Creamery. People, farmers that produce cranberries may go to Ocean Spray or they may join it. And then there's a group of artists like uh, Ujama in Pittsburgh. And I just uh, that last month, uh, Casey was Native American Heritage Month, and I interviewed a group in Zuni, uh, Zuni Pueblo, Zuni tribe in New Mexico, and they have an artist marketing or producer cooperative similar to Ujama, and they produce Native American jewelry. And I would suggest if you really wanted to see that, I, I took a virtual tour. You could go to Zuni, Z-U-N-I, Pueblo art.com and you can get there and if you wanted to find out about Ujama it's U-J-A-M-A-A collective.org and you can buy and shop there for these mainly black ladies who produce jewelry similar kinds of products as the Native Americans so those are your four types and Casey has been working with all of them he told us right before the last break he's been working with all of these different co-ops providing financial services so did you find, Casey, that uh, some of the same benefits of cooperation that you found in housing you'd find in these other types of co-ops? Oh, for sure. Um, but even beyond, you know, my NCB life, like I would say shortly after, uh, you know, joining the bank, there were two, I would say, formative co-ops that touched me. One was uh, after we had our first child, we joined a babysitting co-op uh, in our community. And, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, Vernon, know uh, McLean Gardens in, uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, they had a babysitting co-op, which was uh, which was critical for my wife and I. Is we didn't have any family down here, and that got us involved in the community uh, in a in a wonderful way. And then the let me ask you about before you go to the second one because that one is interesting to me. A babysitting cooperative. Yeah, it was great. So you have babies, and then do the parents own the co-op, or did the employee own co-op? No, it was it was. Parental, and we we you know we traded babysitting hours uh, for each other on some scale, depending on how many children you had. Uh, we had one at the time, so so it worked out pretty well. Uh, but it, it was you know it was meaningful, and so you know you, you talk about you know you know how it impacts you. I mean, it, it brings you part of the community again. You get to know your your community. You're helping people, um, and it deepens relationships. And it solved a real critical need. For babysitting, for a, you know, a, a transplant to Washington D.C. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that turns out for poor people, one of the major problems is finding babysitting that they can afford, and so okay. some form of a babysitting or child care cooperative where they can everybody can share in doing the work brings the cost way down, and you can be there with your child and other children to help raise them. Yeah, God, that's fat phenomenal. So you and your wife, you babysitted. You babysitted other kids too. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm very you. capable. Very capable. <laughs> I've changed a few diapers. Okay, <laughs> me too. Okay. <laughs> what was the other one in your personal life? Um, we we sent all three of our children to cooperative nursery school, which uh, you know again has the same benefits of uh, community and you know uh, you know deepening relationships. So you know, but from a professional standpoint, you know we've certainly touched. The bank has touched, uh, and our wonderful team, you know, many co-ops that you just described beyond housing, you know, worker-owned co-ops. And 
you know, the lovely thing about worker co-ops is, you know, you, you talk to anybody uh, and, and they know the business and it's, it's, it's amazing. I was in a business trip to Minneapolis a few years back and uh, I, I sort of popped into the, the hub co-op, which is a worker own bike bicycle co-op in Minneapolis. And uh, it was unscheduled, but I was, you know, I was in the neighborhood and I, you know, I popped in and just introduced myself and to, to the, the folks working in the store and, uh, you know, they immediately jumped into, you know, the financial statements and they, they knew how the, the, you know, the co-op was doing and, you know, what their plan was and, you know, talk about, you know, pride and real uh, ownership. Uh, it was it was clear. So um, you, know, you, you see that really throughout the co-op world. You're talking about all of the employees, the maintenance guy, the fixing the, the bikes, the person behind the sure. sales counter. Yeah. They all know the financials. They see the books. They know how much they profit they're making or not. Okay. That's right. <laughs> know what they need to do. Yeah. And, and they know the initiatives the, the co-op is, you know, taking or has underway. You know, it's, again, as you know, the, the governance and, you know, the, the, the true ownership they have in the company. So I've popped in in places around the U.S. also, and I'll continue to do it because I love talking to cooperators uh, because of that, that pride that you see, that having voice too often people, particularly in low-income communities, don't have voice. And that gives them tremendous pride um, that goes on into their family. So that's one of the huge benefits of co-op. And then another benefit is if there's a profit, they get to say what happens to that profit. Did you do you find that, too, when you were working with cooperators? Oh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, member economic participation. That's, uh, that's one of my favorite principles. You know, it, it keeps it keeps the wealth and the income and the capital sort of in that ecosystem uh, of cooperatives, right? So, you know, particularly in a time of you know we're seeing growing inequality, uh, you know, keeping uh, the, either the profits or you know passing on lower costs, uh, depending on how a co-op is structured, you know, keeps that wealth in capital in the in the co-op system, uh, and it helps the you know if it's a consumer co-op, it helps the consumer. It's a purchasing co-op that helps a you know a small business owner or another co-op. I think that's critical, and um, you know, a, you know, one of the major differences and important differences that, that co-ops have, you know, compared to other you know ownership forms. I, I think it's essential. So we just talked about principle three. There are seven co-op principles, and I say no matter what the co-op is called, if it has co-op in its in its name, doesn't mean it's a co-op. It just has a co-op in its name. You know it's a co-op if it's operating by those values and principles of cooperation. And that third principle is member economic participation. In the housing co-op, there's a membership fee. You have to buy in. That's normally in all co-ops, food co-ops. There's some kind of fee to buy in. And if there's a profit, you can get something out of it. And what I like about it most, Casey, is the members decide what happens to that profit. Nobody else, not the man, not the boss. Not the slave owner. Excuse me. Okay, I didn't go. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. And talk about in the next minute or so this volunteer and open membership when you, when you talk about slave owners that really literally slipped out. Uh, but the other reason I like co-op was its first principle, volunteer and open membership. How do you find that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's critical, right? I mean, everyone has a seat at the table, but more than that, they, they have a voice, they have a vote. It's open, uh, inclusive, uh, and that's you know, it's it's you know, it goes back to Rochdale, right? I mean, uh, that that was one of the founding principles. 
And, and so it's critical, I think, for every co-op that I think is a differentiating factor, particularly in this day of age, hugely important. Um, and I think it's a, it's a source of pride. So that's the first principle of volunteer and open membership. It doesn't make any difference with your gender, um, male or female, with your political affiliation, Republican, Democrat, independent, your race, black, white, pink, green. It just doesn't make any difference. Test religion. No, it just doesn't make any difference. If it's a co-op and it's operating as a co-op is open to everybody. And we're going to come back and talk about the other seven principles, but I particularly want to talk about, Casey, when we come back, you have some huge shoes to fill, filling Chuck Snyder's shoes. I want to yeah. talk about Chuck a little bit with you and and uh, how you're going to fill those shoes. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Casey Fannin is with us today. He's the just announced um, this week that he's the acting chief executive officer of the National Cooperative Bank, filling Chuck Snyder's shoes. And before we talk about that, I'd like to finish talking about the seven principles. We talked about principle one, P1, volunteer and open membership. We talked about member economic participation, which are two that I like. But the third one is democratic member control. How have you seen that work? One member, one vote. So... I mean, you see it in, in all co-ops. I think that the one that jumps out in my mind is I was up in Massachusetts looking at uh, a, a resident-owned community uh, that, you know, Paul Bradley at Rock USA and his team converted to limited equity manufactured housing co-op. And, you know, I think we sat in a room with about a dozen folks. And, you know, I think that their role in governance, their their uh, newfound, you know, empowerment to run run their community was was just very meaningful to them. You could see it in their faces. You could see it in the stories they told. That shift from being uh, a tenant, you know, with with not the nicest landlord. Okay, let's put it that way. Uh, sh- shifted to uh, them having control of of their future. You know, it, it was a low income community, and uh, that shift. Right from not having a, a voice, not having a vote, to uh, having a vote alongside you know all your other you know neighbors made a like a very impactful difference in you know their outlook for their future, and not surprisingly, they were thrilled. So you know I, that's how I see that governance and that one member one vote really impacting you know the human side of it. So the mission of the bank, and I just I give a shout out to National Co-op Bank every chance I get because you all have been our partner in both uh, supporting us financially, but more importantly, Chuck R.L. Condra and Murray Alex Blanton, they've just been there uh, giving us advice and encouragement uh, who we should be talking to, who's in the co-op world. And it's just been a great partner. And your mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities. And that always gets me that part, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial-related services. So when you're talking about this, and when I grew up in West Virginia, they, they were called trailer parks. They're now, because it has such a bad connotation and negativism, that they're they're called mobile home parks and mobile home parks could also be houses 
that are built in the manufactured homes. So it's more than trailers, but often trailer parks where people had low income. They're low income communities, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, it just doesn't make any difference because, again, growing up in West Virginia, we were in the neighborhood I grew up, we were all working poor and there were black and whites. We didn't have any Hispanics, didn't have any foreign folks, but blacks and white, we grew up on the same hill, you know, climbing the same trees, playing cowboys and Indian marbles. Okay, <laughs> just poor didn't make any difference. But when you get to own it, when you get to own it, that's where you're talking about, and you have a vote and you have a voice. That, that I love that democratic member control and that's a great example but i find it as i travel around and just pop into bicycle shops or taxi shops or um, any kind of cooperative business you find that same kind of pride and an ability to vote and voice and the fourth one is autonomy and independence and that's that control ownership and control so can you give us an example of who you how you've seen that autonomy work and that control yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you have to maintain that auto- autonomy and independence. I think, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about co-ops is that, you know, ownership and control is with its members, right? There's no outside force that is influencing the direction of the company, whether that be, you know, uh, unrelated investors, you know, government control. You know, it's really, you want to, you, you want to maintain autonomy uh, and, and really have the co-op exclusively serving the, the needs both economic and social needs of the members. And I think if you start bringing in external influences, you know, whether they be profit-minded or, you know, uh, you know, you know through a government entity, it, it starts to, you know, take you a little off course, potentially, right. or you run the risk of going off course. So that autonomy is, I think, critical to just maintain the integrity of uh, the mission uh, of that of the individual co-op. And... Internationally, I've had a number of people on the show talk about that, how government sometimes would try to get in. But they end up learning that, you know, keep your hands off the co-op. The people have to make the decisions. The membership have to make the decisions. And the same thing is when they go. I think in Europe, you'll you'll see a a little bit more of a a government hand, I think, in some of the co-ops, more so than in the states. And so, um, uh, but you do have to keep that control uh, with the members. And the, the. first thing that I saw in co-ops was the fifth principle working, and that was education, training, and information, and having taught for 12 years in my career, and my mother was a school teacher, learning is huge for me, and that was the first reason that I fell in love with co-op was this principle number five, and I'll just say real quickly, every co-op I see and every annual meeting I go to of cooperators, that's what it's all about, training, getting that knowledge. And there's not enough of it, right? I mean, you know, going back to, you know, where we started the conversation, like, you know, in the library, I couldn't find many books on co-ops back in business school. So it's, you know, there's not enough of it, but, you know, there's there's a lot of co-op. And NCBA, NCBA does a great job, you know, uh, training, communicating, and there's a lot of, you know, great resources out there with co-op development centers and such. But I think we could always do more on the education side, NCB included. I, I think there's always more. I mean, you You've heard it said co-ops are the best kept secret. Uh, we need to get the information out. I think people know that co-ops are a good thing. They can kind of explain what they are. You know, the average person on the street has, has some sense of what a co-op is, but I think the more they learn, the more successful and more co-ops will be created. So in 2011, there was a group of us, cooperators, 150 of us, went to UN 
because the UN had decided that 2012 was going to be the year of the cooperator internationally. And Chuck Snyder got up and said, co-ops are the best secret, best kept secret, and you just did it too. And that's one of the reasons when I brought to Chuck a couple years after that, whatever, eight years ago, 2013, I brought him this idea that came out of the National Association of Housing Co-ops of doing this radio show so that we could get people to understand co-ops, really get people to understand the brand and what is for, like the values that we're talking about now, ownership, voice, vote, education, knowledge, training, how you make decisions together. And then you get to the sixth principle, cooperation among co-ops, and you mentioned that. P6 is, is huge, and is a, you know, it's a you know, big initiative right now across the industry. You know, NCBA is, is taking the lead, and NCBA's you know, been a big supporter and uh, an advocate of the, the P6 initiative that they're, they launched. You know, we recently had a call, a Zoom call, with about 40-plus you know, cross-sector co-op leaders, really with the goal of, you know, bringing co-op leaders from different sectors together to brainstorm and, and solve for, you know, a need, of a need for capital with new startup co-ops and, and young growing co-ops. You know, capital raise in, in a co-op can be difficult. And so we're, you know, we're reaching across sectors, you know, big co-ops, large co-ops, you know, small co-ops, you know, that are you know starting uh, you know technical assistance providers who are working with, with the cooperating uh, cooperative community really a goal of how can we create some structure some vehicle some product that can fill a gap that exists right now in that early co-op development and whether that be equity or debt or some combination really that that, that seed capital that will um, allow for you know a new co-op or a growing co-op to grow so that's an example of P6. I think that, you know, that's one angle of the P6 initiative. There's others uh, that, that uh, NCBA is, uh, is working on, but that's one that I've been involved in and NCBA's involved in, and I think some of the larger co-ops uh, will as well. Very excited about that because it's a chance for, you know, some of the more, you know, mature co-ops like ourselves, you know, pitching in and, uh, and, and helping the next generation. And NCB is a co-op. Oh, yeah. Remember, um, I should have mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, why <well>, not? <laughs> so, you know, this P6, uh, housing co-ops have something called replacement reserves, which you're very familiar with. And uh, Herb Fisher brought to the National Association Co-ops um, 15 years ago is how we could take all of the housing co-ops, I don't know about all of them, anybody that would want to, and pull this replacement reserve to help start up worker co-ops or help start up other forms of co-ops. Most is a replacement reserve. If it's a roof, it may not need to be, you may not need to have that money for 15 years. And how can it be used to help the cooperative ecosystem as you were just talking about? How, how can it be helped? And how can the, then the co-ops, particularly limited equity co-ops, get credit unions to loan $1,000 or $5,000 to new members for their member Participation, what they have to put up, because a lot of times poor people don't have five thousand dollars saved, right. and that would be a great place for this cooperation among co-ops. And so, anyway, when you all have these Zoom meetings, would you please let me know? Because I'd like to be sitting on the wall listening to what are the ideas are. Maybe have something to add, but I'd like to know so we can get it on air of these different examples of P six. 
Yeah, no, I think there'll be some. Uh, I think there'll be some real movement. It got delayed a few weeks with Chuck's passing, but I think that uh, there's going to be some real movement with you know the next steps we take. And then there's P7 concern for community, which is in the DNA of co-ops concern for community. How does how that how have you seen that work? So. I think that, you know, most co-ops are serving, you know, more than just an economic need, right? There's some social need. And I think by definition, that's, you know, that's, that's concern for community. I think one of the ways the NCB has really put that to, to work is our focus on, on solar. We've done a lot of solar, you know, I'll give you an example of a, of a it's not co-op specifically, but it's sort of big tent co-op, right? In the sense that it has some of the same uh, principles, although not the same structure. Community solar is a way that individuals like you and I, who may, you know, we may not have a roof to put solar panels on, can subscribe to a larger, you know, solar array, a commercial solar array, and get guaranteed lower cost electricity than what the grid would otherwise provide. And that's supported through, you know, the federal and state subsidies. And so we've, you know, we've financed some community solar projects. So that has the concern for community from an environmental perspective, mm-hmm. for sure. But your point about if you can save a little bit of money on your on your electric bill every month, if it's $25, $35, that's going to have a greater impact on a lower-income household, right. right? I mean, a $25 a month savings may not be an incredible amount of money for an affluent home or an affluent, affluent family, but that could be a difference maker for a low a low income uh, community or, or a lower income family, so I think that concern for community, both on the, the sustainability and environmental side, coupled with you know helping those who need it the most, is is, is a way that I I think NCB's very interested in in growing. Casey, thank you. We're going to go into our final break. I love these principles, but the main thing I like are the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility and caring for one another. Golden rule, if you will. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Information is power. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op, and we are giving you information about co-ops, the National Cooperative Bank, and hopefully you'll take this information and put some action to it, and when you put that action to it, that's where you get the power. And we talked about the power that Chuck Snyder had in the last two weeks, there were things like he was genuine. He was a mentor and a friend to everybody. And, and one person said, Casey, they thought they were special until they heard the people on the show and found out he was a friend to everybody. He had magic dust that he spread around. Uh, there was the Chuck factor. He left a legacy, a legacy that you're coming behind him to fill those shoes, and it was said that he was somebody to emulate and learn from. Not a normal banker. He was a people person first and a banker second. And he said he was the ultimate cooperator. People first, planet second, profit third. Had had profit, but it came in that priority, people first. So how do you see yourself filling those shoes or... Sure. Came yeah, out in the finance good. side just like he did. Well, he was a CPA and moved into the people side. How do you see doing that? Yeah, well, I mean, you're right about, you know, Chuck was a good man, a special man. You know, we had a, a time of remembrance for Chuck. And to your point, we had uh, several people say, you know, 
until I heard everybody talk, I, I thought I was Chuck's favorite, you know, because I think he, he made everybody feel uh, special. Um, no, I was his favorite. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so Chuck was a friend and mentor. Um, you know, I'm very thankful, uh, you know, for the time I had with Chuck. I, I think, you know, Chuck cared. And I think that, you know, in, in filling Chuck's shoes, that will continue. I mean, I will, uh, I mean, I'm not Chuck. I'll be a different leader than Chuck, but. I think, um, you know, I've been here at NCB for 26 years, and I think the, one of the reasons I've been here so long is, you know, I care about the bank. I care about the people of the bank and, uh, and our customers and members. And, you know, I, I think one of the things, you know, Chuck and I have in common are we're good listeners. I think that uh, we have to listen, and, and that's listening to our employees, uh, listening to customers, like one of my favorite parts of working at NCB and in my jobs over the years has been visiting with, with members, uh, you know, mm. getting out of the office, going to, to visit on site, breaking bread with folks, getting to know people, uh, understanding their business, how the bank helps them grow their business. And, and that's critical. I think you have to listen. You have to listen to what, you know, people's struggles are, what their successes are, what their needs are. And, and not only in good times, that has to be in bad times, too. Most um, importantly, bad times, because a lot of times people throw their hands up and want to kick you out the door in the bad times. But how do you work with people in bad times? Yeah, most yeah, important. And, you know, it's like, you know, if it's only good times. Someone said, you know, you, you can't be, you know, selling umbrellas on a, on a, on a sunny day, right? And, and so, um, I, you know, I, I think back, you know, I, I got a good lesson uh, in one of the, the finan- you know, financial crisis of like 2007, I guess. You know, it was a, it was a tough time to be a banker. Let me just put it that way. It was a tough time, and uh, Barry Silver, you know, it was so easy just to, to you know, to, to make tough decisions and, and not make a loan or what have you. And Barry Silver would say, "Can't forget about the customer. It has to be about the customer." And, and he was he was exactly right. I uh, I think I think Barry for that. I've told him that. And you have to you have to maintain that focus on on the on the on the member and on the, the, the owners of the, of the members in the NCB's case. And I think that that's, that's what, that's how I'll fill Chuck's shoes is continuing to care about NCB's members and our customers and the people behind them. I, I think that that's what Chuck's always done. I think that's what I've always done and, and, and will continue to do. And to your point on, you know, and the other thing Chuck used to say all the time, and you've heard him say it probably a thousand times, we have to do well, to do good. Yep. And um, in other words, you need to you need to be profitable in order to do the good things we we do. Uh, we just signed off on a bunch of grants the other day, and that was made possible by the profits we make. And so um, I think that's something that I've spent a lot of my time, you know, as you said, using the right side of my brain, you know, to make sure we uh, we have a few nickels to to throw around uh, to the co-op community. And part of those grants are to historically black colleges and universities. Is that part of the ones you've just signed up on? Yeah. No, we, we've, um, we, we've made contributions to uh, historically black colleges and universities. We just did some grants to uh, the Drivers Co-op in, in New York City, which is sort of a, a platform co-op looking to compete with you know, Uber and Lyft in the city and some other uh, low-income communities in, uh, in Ohio. Uh, for, for housing development, um, but you know the list goes on. As you know, I mean, Mary Alex is talking about the Chuck Factor. Yeah, um, that, that, <laughs> that's alive and well. So, you know, I think doing well to do good is, is critical. So, Chuck Factor was these grants and ways of helping folks, helping communities 
And I talked about the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. And that's the piece you said, caring for others is what Chuck did. And that's what you will continue. And like you said, you know, you'll have your own management style. You're your own man. And so was Chuck. But that caring for others is the piece, which is nothing but the cooperative values. So if you do the cooperative values, you can fill the shoes. And I'm glad to hear you take the visor off. <laughs> take the, right. the financial right. hat off and get out and go visit co-ops and be with people, learn what they need, and then create innovative financial and related services to help the the members and the cooperatives and the members. So, yeah, keep doing it. Keep doing yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, I, and look, at NCB, I've always said we, we sort of fight above our weight. You know, we're, we're a $3 billion bank. But we're, you know, we're, we're competing alongside banks much larger. And I think that's a tribute to, you know, the employees at NCB. Got a lot of smart, hardworking people here. And, um, you know, long tenure is a commonality here at NCB. And I think it's uh, because people love to work here. But it results in, you know, very strong, uh, very strong employees who know our businesses, know our markets, uh, and have that, you know, understanding so we can be creative and, 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 and create, you know, Strong products, competitive products, low interest rates for loans. So it's 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 definitely part of our mission. So I've got a a product I'd like for you to consider here for a minute, real quickly, before we take the last three or four minutes to talk about the future. But in DC, there's something called HPAP, Homeowners Assistance Program, and the co-op I live in had gotten approved by NCB to do share loans. Share loans is for everybody out there. It's like a mortgage, but their share certificates is supposed to a deed, so it's called a share loan. And I had a school teacher who had, or at least the co-op did, and was going to buy a unit. And with HPAP, she had 25% down. You all called for 20% down, had very good interest rates, very good loan, very good product, but you would not approve the HPAP, and I could not get that. So I would like for you to consider allowing HPAP to be a part of the down payment. This was a school teacher, everything, credit score, no criminal records, just and seemed to be a very sweet person. We wanted her in the co-op because we thought she would have been a plus for the co-op. And uh, she ended up not getting it. We ended up getting a good resident, a good owner, but we had to go through again. And that looked like the package was great. And I couldn't understand why you all didn't. And I'm sorry I didn't reach out to you then. I was... Yeah, it, it's <laughs> too bad. But I, I, like I said, I'm a good listener, Vernon. So uh, I'm, I'm writing notes right now. And uh, I, will, uh, I will have an answer for you on that one. Uh, I'll, I'll be calling you back after the show. And so now, thank you. I would like to talk about the future, hopefully coming out of COVID. There's... Yep. New variances all the time and stuff, but hopefully we're coming out of COVID. We've got to, I think, learn how to live with it. I think it's going to be with us. How do you see the bank coming out of COVID and helping helping co-ops? So, uh, you know, I think, you know, we are just finalizing our strategic plan right now. And I think that uh, how I envision helping co-ops over the, over the next couple of years is staying through our values. In, in staying true to our mission, I think NCB not only provides, you know, the, the loans and deposits and financial services, I think we are, you know, an important force in the co-op community. One of the ways our, our plan, you know, intends to, to, to do that is, is grow our own balance sheet. 
I think uh, we're looking to grow 33% over the next three years. And I think what that allows us to do is touch more co-ops, you know, be a more important player in the co-op space by, by growing our, you know, our own balance sheet and doing so living, living our values. And we didn't talk about that today, Vernon, but, you know, real quickly, you know, when we defined our culture at NCB, we, we, we came up with, I think, seven values in their customer focus, accountability, collaboration, empowerment, diversity, inspiration, and integrity. And those are at the core of what we're doing in the future. That's both internally amongst ourselves at NCB, but, you know, extended to our customers. Uh, and that's how we define our culture. And I think we want that culture to drive the future. You know, we're a mission organization. So uh, in addition to growing the balance sheet and, you know, we got we to gotta stay true. Stay true to the value. Stay true to the mission. Really, I, I look forward to working with you uh, in the future. And I think it's just tremendous opportunity. Thank you for being on and everybody out there. Please live cooperatively. <laughs>